0: You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Welcome to the Collegian Week in Review. Here are your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott.
1: Welcome back to the Collegian Week in Review, where we give you an inside look into Michigan's oldest college newspaper. We're your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. And today we'll be talking to Elise April about Hillsdale canceling the Passages to Israel trip for this year. Then we will talk to Thomas McKenna about some potential policy changes in the state of Michigan, as well as a piece he did surveying Hillsdale students, faculty and staff on whether they vote. And then finally, we'll talk to Kaylee Odding about her review of the Five Nights at Freddy's movie.
2: This is Lauren, and I'm here with Elise Apel, the digital editor at The Collegian. This week, she wrote a story about Hillsdale College canceling its annual trip to Israel because of the war. Elise, tell me about this story.
0: Yeah, so Hillsdale takes an annual trip through um, the Passages program, which is a Christian um, travel group. They um, take a group of students every December, December, January, um, over winter break to Israel. Um, Obviously, with the conflict there now, um, it would be pretty unsafe for students to go. So we talked about this last week, um, and they were still kind of up in the air. But between now and then, they've, they've ended up deciding to cancel it. Um, which I talked to the trip advisors for Hillsdale and they all said that they thought that was the best idea to ensure student safety. Is
2: the trip currently rescheduled?
0: Yeah, so it's not rescheduled, um, but they do have a trip for May that was already planned, um, so they will still be going to that. Has this Israel trip ever been canceled before? Yeah, so it was canceled for a period of time over COVID, obviously, um, but it was kind of up and running again, um, and then the the war broke out. So um, obviously, um, they just want to ensure that the students are safe and um, that they can have a good trip. So they're just going to postpone it um, until things calm down in the region. You talked to some students who were planning on going on this
2: trip. What are their thoughts about its cancellation?
0: Yeah, you know, obviously, they're upset. They're sad, um, but their, their prayers are with Israel. Their thoughts are with Israel um, as they, they deal with the war over there. Um, and they are hoping and excited that they will be able to go again once things calm down. All right. Thanks for joining us today, Elise. Thanks for having me on.
1: The Collegian Weekend Review continues.
2: This is Lauren, and I'm here with Thomas McKenna, an assistant editor at The Collegian. This week, he wrote an article about State Population Council considering tax hikes. Thomas, what did some local leaders have to say about this?
3: Well, local political and business leaders were saying that these new recommendations that just came out of a council established by the governor, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, in the summer, uh, don't bode well for businesses and consumers in the area. Um, One of the people I talked to was Susan Smith, who's the executive director of the Hillsdale County Economic Development Partnership. And she said that now is probably the worst time to even consider raising taxes. So what this stemmed from was this population council called the Growing Michigan Together Council, which the governor established this summer, publishing its preliminary recommendations for what to do to try to bring people back to Michigan and stem Michigan's population decline. And in these recommendations, it said that they needed to raise more money for Improving roads and improving schools and one of the ways they wanted to do that was by raising taxes And so what we found is that both political and business leaders in Hillsdale County and in the state in general Generally rejected the idea that raising taxes was going to bring people back to Michigan
2: What did state representative Andrew Fink have to say?
3: So representative Fink said that not only was he not in favor of the idea and he didn't think that it would bring people back to Michigan But he said that potentially more taxes would only accelerate the problem of Michigan's population decline. And that's generally what politicians that we talked to said as well. Our state senator, Joe Bellino, said a very similar thing. He said that it'd be horrendously hurtful uh, to the three counties that he represents in his district, especially since they all border uh, either Indiana or Ohio. And so uh, taxes that are levied on businesses in this area make those businesses more likely to move to the bordering states.
2: What would these tax increases pay for?
3: So that's unclear. If you look at the policy recommendations from the council, uh, generally they say that it would go to improving roads and infrastructure and schools and other government services. But they haven't released any specific policy recommendations as far as if we raise more revenue from this specific tax, it will go to this specific expenditure. Uh, But in general, for example, the infrastructure work group recommended lifting a cap uh, that we currently have at the state level that prevents local governments from raising property taxes more than 5% every year or faster than the rate of inflation. And so bringing more tax revenue in that way to local governments they say would give them more money to spend on infrastructure, for example.
2: What are the chances that these taxes actually get passed?
3: Well, it's unclear right now exactly what the specific policy recommendations would be, but if you look at the preliminary recommendations released by the council, most of them re- would require a constitutional amendment uh, because anytime that you're making a change to tax or budget policy, in general, this is what State Senator Bellino told me, you generally have to get a constitutional amendment or two-thirds majority in the legislature. And especially given the slim majorities the Democrats have in the state house and the state senate, as well as the fact that in general, people are opposed to tax increases in the state and will vote against them in a referendum, the chances of this getting passed are pretty slim. And that's what Sources in Lansing told us, for example, uh, John McNamara, who's the vice president of government affairs of the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association, said that it would be an uphill battle for these tax hikes to get passed. Uh, a source from the Chamber of Commerce in Michigan also told us the similar thing. They, she said that uh, even if these tax hikes were to make it to a vote, it probably wouldn't happen until much later in 2024. Uh, and other sources even told us that those tax hikes might not come to the floor until after the 2024 elections.
2: You also spoke to Hillstow College Professor of Political Economy, Gary Wolfram, who also is a member on the city council. Um, What did he have to say specifically about a possible constitutional amendment?
3: Well, Professor Wolfram mainly focused on the Headley Amendment, which was passed in 1978. Uh, It would require a constitutional amendment to amend the Headley Amendment, and what that would do is it would remove the cap that's currently on property taxes at the local government. And that cap prevents those local governments from raising property taxes by more than 5% every year or faster than the rate of inflation. Now, Professor Wolfram said that one of the reasons for removing that cap uh, would be to raise money for infrastructure or other local government expenses, but that you know a constitutional amendment is much harder to pass than just a regular bill through the majority in the state legislature.
2: All right, Thomas, well, thank you so much for talking to us about these exciting things happening in our state. I'm gonna go ahead and pass you on over to Maddie to talk about an article you wrote for the feature section about Hillsdale students and if they vote.
1: This is Maddie, and I'm here with Thomas McKenna to talk about voting. So Thomas, tell me about this piece that you wrote for the Collegian. I understand it was sort of a poll of students, faculty, and staff of Hillsdale, seeing if they vote or not.
3: Sure. So this survey that we conducted over the past two weeks was seeking to answer the general question: If Hillsdale students vote, and if they do, you know, what are what is our voter turnout compared to? Uh, other places, our age group nationwide, and in other schools. And generally what we found is that Hillsdale students tend to participate in elections. Uh, If we looked at the 2020 election, for example, about 81% of Hillsdale students who were eligible to vote in that election voted. Uh, But we also found that compared to other young people, we vote about twice as often. So in Michigan, for example, which has the highest turnout rate among young people, and at least did in the 2020 election— only about 37% of people ages 18 to 29 voted in the 2020 election. And so what we find is if we compare that to Hillstills numbers, we voted about twice the rate of young people in general in Michigan. Um, One of the things that didn't quite make it into the article, but that I thought was interesting, is that our rates are generally comparable to state schools in Michigan. For example, Michigan State University had about, I want to say, a 75% rate. Uh, And Michigan was very similar at about 77%. And so that's obviously very close to 81%. But it's also interesting when you consider that about 70% of those state schools' students, uh, for Michigan State, for example, it's about 72%, most of their students come from inside of Michigan, whereas only about 22% of our students come from inside Michigan. And what that means is that if Michigan young people vote at a much higher rate Hillsdale is already at a disadvantage in that way, uh, but we still end up with a slightly higher turnout rate in the 2020 election, for example.
1: I know there was a question on the survey, because I took it, asking whether seniors at Hillsdale voted for the senior class president. Um, and that was looking to sort of compare you know, whether people voted in little elections like that as much as they did in actual state and federal elections. What do you know what the rate was there and how it compared if it was interesting in any way?
3: Can you give me 2 seconds to pull up the data? Absolutely not. We did not. not end up including that in the Are no, fine. So if we look at seniors who voted or did not vote in the class president election last year, In those 52 responses that we received, we found about 67 percent of those seniors reported voting in the class president election. Now, if we compare that to the 2020 turnout rate, given that almost everyone who is eligible to vote in that election uh, is a senior this year, what we find is that we actually saw a higher turnout rate for the presidential election in 2020 than for the class president election in uh, this past year. I found that interesting because you would think that a student is much more likely to vote in an election where they think their vote matters more statistically, and also if they're voting or not voting for their friends, or we'll say voting against their enemies, where they just feel like the election impacts them closer to home. But we found, surprisingly, that that students actually tended to vote in the presidential election uh, at a higher rate than they did in this past class president election.
1: I know you talked to a couple of professors um, as well as a student. What did they have to say about their voting habits and what they think about voting
3: as a whole? Well, I thought the most interesting uh, analysis that I got from those two interviews came from uh, assistant professor of politics, Dan O'Toole. Uh, Dr. O'Toole said that he sympathized with students of which there are many here at Hillsdale, and especially in poli- among politics majors, who are cynical uh, and despairing about the current state of politics, and so that might lead them to vote less. But Dr. O'Toole said that even if you are despairing a bit, that you still should vote because you have to, the way he put it was, slow the regime down somehow. Uh, and I thought that that was interesting because he was saying that he felt similarly about the current state of politics, that he was increasingly pessimistic, but that he voted anyways because he thought that you have some duty and that people should, even if they think that you know the current state of affairs is going downhill, that they should try to slow down that decline, even if they think that's the best they can do.
1: Well, thanks for sharing, Thomas. Thank you, Maddie. Radio Free Hillsdale's The Collegian Week in Review continues. This is Maddie, and I'm here with Kaylee Odding, a Collegian freelancer who wrote a review for The Collegian this week of the brand new Five Nights at Freddy's movie. And she wrote about her thoughts and her opinions on this movie. So, Kaylee, tell me a little bit about, just for the listeners, a summary of this movie.
4: This movie follows kind of the lore of the Five Nights at Freddy's games, but the gist of it is there's this older brother named Mike Schmidt, and he is unemployed, and his parents have abandoned his sister. His mom has died, and his aunt is trying to take custody of his little sister, and he needs to get a job, otherwise he's going to lose his sister. And He keeps getting fired from all of his jobs because he's, like, insane or something. And he ends up getting this job at a animatronic pizzeria, except the animatronics are haunted by murdered children, and the murdered children try to kill him and his sister. And they learn later in the film that the guy who gave him the job is actually the guy who killed the kids, and they got to kill him to, like... Make the kids not kill them.
1: Were you a fan of Five Nights at Freddy's before watching this movie?
4: Oh, yeah. I've been a fan since I was 12 or 13 when the first movie came or first game came out in 2014. And since then, I have played every single game. I have watched every single YouTube video ever created regarding Five Nights at Freddy's. I've read all the books, I have bought the activity books. I've had the unhealthy obsession with it. And this movie actually has only made that uh, infinitely worse now that it has reminded me that I can go back and watch hours and hours and days and days worth of Five Nights at content until I die.
1: So as a super fan, what did you think of the movie?
4: I really liked the movie. I know that's not a popular opinion among some people because uh, people wanted it to be more gory But the games aren't that gory, to be honest. They're more jump scare based. So I did not think that the movie was going to be gory. I thought that it was the perfect mix of like fan service with like lore, with little, little like Easter eggs that only like super big fans would know about. And I think that the criticism that it's a bad movie because it's not full of dead kids body parts is not very good because it was a good movie i thought it did a very good job uh making a cohesive story for years worth of content rolled into like an hour and 49 minutes
1: not to make this into like so much of a larger issue but you bring up a great point like people want movies to be sort of gory and obscene and when they're not they're disappointed what do you think of that
4: I think that I understand there's a time and a place for gore, but I think that a lot of gore is intended for shock value and I personally think that my my type of a good horror film is like is a movie that it it can be more psychological than like I'm going to like show you graphic detail dismemberment Obviously like things can be implied and I think implying things does similarly what gore itself can do. I don't think you need to make it so graphic that it's like rated R that also like restricts the viewer base as well. And obviously like there are rated R movies for a reason for older audiences, but specifically this movie was catered toward like the games are played by children I played it when I was a child there are children who still play it and I think they had that in mind when they were making the movie that they didn't want it to be a movie that only like 18 plus could see I think that it's it's I think it's interesting that if people their biggest gripe after waiting this long for this movie is that there was enough blood and guts I think that they maybe are not as big of fans as they claim to be
1: this is one of many movies recently that is an adaptation of a video game. What do you think of that sort of trend?
4: Uh, usually I hate them. Uh, I think that they're garbage 90% of the time. The most recent one that I thought was okay, and I think the most recent one I think that has been out has, was the Super Mario movie. And I thought that was pretty good. I thought that that did a pretty good job of making like a family-friendly like Mario movie. I thought like a couple plot points were weird and I wish that they like changed some things around but hindsight's always 2020. 20. But I think as far as like the improvement that I've seen regarding like video game movies, obviously there's been an increase in quality because I think the Super Mario movie and the Five Nights at Freddy's movie is testament to that. I'm trying to think of other garbage like adaptations. Um, but not many are coming to mind because They're that bad. Um, I'm thinking of, like, Pixels. I mean, that was, like, sort of one, but not really because it was live action. I don't know. Usually that's really corny. Like, usually video game movies are corny and bad. That's what I think of. And I think these two movies, like, obviously Super Mario is not, like, a serious franchise. They're not trying to be taken seriously because he's, like, a plumber who, like, fights for a princess and, like, rides on a weird dinosaur frog. But I think as far as, like, knowing what genre they're in and, like, trying to make something good, both those movies did a pretty good job. I'd say, not to be personally biased or whatever, but I'd say the Five Nights at Freddy's one did better um, just because I think it's harder to adapt a horror-based game like that into a watchable type thing, because it's it doesn't really, like, the game itself does not portray a storyline that well. It's the bits and pieces outside of the gameplay that does. So to take, like, a literal sit-down, like, camera-watching game and turn it into a feature-length film, I think is pretty cool. And the fact that it didn't, like, do horribly and it had, like, one of the biggest openings on Halloween ever, I think is testament to the fact that Maybe, finally, movie studios can make good video game movies for once.
1: Well, thanks for sharing, Kaylee.
2: You have been listening to the Collegian Weekend Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We're your hosts, Lauren Scott. And Maddie Welsh. You can find the Collegian online at Hillsdale Collegian. Or on Instagram. Wait, no. You can find the Collegian online at HillsdaleCollegian.com. Or on Instagram at Hillsdale Collegian. You can also find previous episodes of the Collegian Week in Review online at cwir.transistor.fm. Once again, you've been listening to the Collegian Week in Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.